Welcome to my life, Chassidus Applied, episode 287. This is the beginning of the week in which we will have Yutas Kislev this Tuesday, so consider this a special Yutas Kislev edition. This program, this program is dedicated in honor of the engagement of Mendy J. Andy Jacobson and Chayabina Gorman, sponsored and dedicated by the Jacobson family. So as I mentioned, Yutas Kislev, which is called the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, the famous letter that the Rebbe Rashab wrote, where he called it Zeh Hayyem Ma'asecha, using the verse and the expression, the prayer actually, that we say in Rosh Hashanah, the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. And we know the words of the Rabbeim are not lightly stated, they carry in potency and meaning. You say Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus is literally that, the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, the beginning of a new year of Chassidus. Of course, in a program called My Life Chassidus Applied, it's, it seems quite fitting and necessary and appropriate, and appropriate to discuss what exactly is Chassidus and what is the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. So that will be our opening discussion, our opening uh, monologue. I actually don't like the word monologue. I think everything should be a dialogue. It's a discussion. Your questions, I try to make answer. I try to respond. And sometimes I have the question. I think it's a participatory experience, an interactive one, which is really what Chassidus is really all meant about, to be not just something you do it one way. It's a two-way street, so to speak, a relationship, a partnership between us and God, between us and the Rebbeim, the Rebbe, between us and, and each other, between us and Torah. So as that is a segue, let us, uh, let's talk about Yutas Kislev. So Yutas Kislev, it was 221 years ago, Tovkuf Nuntes, the Alter Rebbe was released from prison. So this would be, uh, Tovshin Nuntes would have been 200 years, the Samach Tes Ayin 221 years. And ever since that Geula, that back 220 years, 21 years ago, it's been celebrated uh, with all types of ways by each of the Rabbeim, by Chassidim, as being not just a celebration of the Alter Rebbe leaving prison, that would have been a one-time thing, but a vindication that, that allowed now Chassidus to be taught in a way, in unhindered fashion. Because as Chassidim understood, and the Rabbeim as well explained it, that even though the Alter Rebbe was arrested by informers who were jealous, who uh, were coming from a different perspective, and uh, they, mastered, they informed on him, but everything come from below comes from above. If there was the possibility to imprison the Alter Rebbe, it was because Lamail and Shemayim in heaven, there was a question whether the Alter Rebbe's spreading of Chassidus and bring it into Chabad is the right way to go. What was the problem? What was the, because if you want to understand the Gula, we have to understand what was the, why was there be an issue? Spreading Torah is a great thing to do. Spreading Primus Atera is a great thing to do. Why would it be an issue? So it goes back to one way to capture it is the story, the famous story, where when the Alter Rebbe gave the example of the Evan Tev. So why did he give that example of a sick child? And we'll get to the example in a minute, because he was discussing with a colleague, it was Pinchas Karatz or whoever it may have been, and they were talking about the revelation of Chassidus should it be done in an unlimited way or with care. Because remember, Primus Atera was always taught in very closed circles, very privately. The Mishnah says, You don't talk about these things, you don't discuss, you don't study them, only individually, one-on-one. 
So they were talking about, as we were speaking, and the Alter Rebbe's position was, yes, the time has come, based, of course, on what he had heard from the Magid and from the Baal Shem Tev, that Mashiach had told the Baal Shem Tev, when the wellsprings will be spread, the wellsprings are the wellsprings of Teir, Primus HaTeir, Chesidus, your Maynasecha will be spread outward, Chutzah. So he took that as a clear direction. And when you see it in a progressive way, before that, that Rizal, that Rab Chaim Vital writes, and the Rebbe Alta Rebbe brings it in Tanya, Geras HaKedosh, there came a time to now to reveal this Chochmah that once was not revealed. So for the Alta Rebbe, it was a clear sign. As they were speaking, Chesidim tell the story that Rabbeim repeated as well. Uh, it could be, I should actually say that Rabbeim told the story and Chesidim repeated as well that a piece, a page of uh, some manuscript, a Chesidish manuscript was seen on the floor. So the other tzaddik said to the Alter you see, as we're speaking, you see that people are not appreciating. It fell on the floor as a sign that, and that's when the Alter gave his famous example. The example is of a king, an aging and ailing king. He had his child who was going to be an heir to the throne, but the child fell sick to the point it was already life-threatening. And all the doc- doctors could not solve the issue and could not bring him back to health. They were giving up hope. So you could imagine the king did everything possible, sent people, messengers, to find someone, someone to save his dear son. His future is the heir to his throne. And finally, one doctor from some obscure place came and said that if you take the most precious stone which was the most precious stone in the king's crown, a rare gem, and you crush it, and you mix the powder with water, and you try to get to force it in between his clenched teeth, that may save his life. Because it had a particular power, had particular healing powers. Now the child was comatose. There's not even a guarantee that it would go into his mouth. And a lot of it would probably spill on the ground. And yet the king, without hesitation, of course, what do I need my crown and my malchus if I don't have my child who's going to, take, who's going to continue this malchus, this kingship? Al-Tareb was saying something very powerful with that, that even if it's a ben even if people are abusing it and are not taking it fully, fully for, they're not taking it full advantage and they're taking it for granted and it could take a fall on the floor just like the liquid with the powder <clears throat> could also spill on the floor still to save the child. Now, what was the sick child in the metaphor, in the moral of the story? Sick child was the Jewish people who were in a state of hisalfus, as we know, in the time of the Baal Shem Tov, which means, though is strong Jewish communities, but they began sensing that assimilation was coming, that there'd be new challenges, and there was a split between the scholars and the simple, and the appreciation of what an neshama is was being, beginning to be lost. So the Baal Shem Tov, and of course develop, developed further by the Magad and the Alter Rebbe, said the time has come, now we have to do whatever it takes and you have to reveal even the innermost secrets of the Teda, the Neshama of Teda, Neshmasa Daraisa, to awaken the Neshama of the Jew. Now if that was the challenge then, you can imagine the Ben Chela today. Today we have rates of assimilation that are skyrocketing, I'm talking about through the roof, 80, 90 percent, depending how you define assimilation. Jews who absolutely don't even know the basic olive base. They were not taught. They were brought up in captivity. Meaning they don't know even what Shabbos is. It's a whole different category. Not someone who knows or doesn't know a little. And even those that do know, for many it's mechanical, it's cultural, it's robotic. So then at the time of the Altar Rebbe, you needed the precious stone. How much more so today? 
So that's one of the reasons given, and that's what Chassidus came to do. And Yutas Kislev was the ultimate vindication, because in heaven there was a question. Can we reveal such secrets as the time come? And when the Alter Rebbe was in prison, it was seen as a challenge in heaven. And then the story goes that Baal Shem Tov the Magad visited the Alter Rebbe in prison. And he asked them, what should I do if I'm, when I'm released? So they said, not only should you continue, you should even expand and disseminate further and grow. It should only become greater and greater. So in, in the stage of what Yutas Kislev did was a new door, a new opening. We'll talk about it more in the Chassidus question at the end of this program. But as the Merebbe Rashab explains, the Iker of Yafutz Menasech HaChutzah began then. In a very physical way, it was seen in the length relative to the short tatus, the short thoughts and ideas that the Alter Rebbe said before Yutas Kislev, what we call Lifne Petersburg, before Petersburg, which was where he was in prison, and Laachne Petersburg. Interesting, using Petersburg, which is a name of a Goetia city, the capital of Russia, named after Peter the Great, but that's where he sat in prison, and that's how we call Lifne Petersburg, Acher Petersburg. In other words, Petersburg was the benchmark, was the watershed moment. I don't know if benchmark is the right word. The watershed moment that marked that transition from a new stage of Yifutz Menesach on a completely new scale. And that would only increase and grow and expand after that in the generations to come, all the way to our generation. Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. So it's a Rosh Hashanah. What happens Rosh Hashanah? Right at the end of the year, the moon wanes, disappears. The entire year, as the Altareb explains in the Geras HaKedosh, Simeon Yudalad, from the Arizal, the entire world goes into a comatose state and eagerly anticipating whether their con- the contract will be renewed. So it's a renewal when Rosh Hashanah comes. Same thing with Yutas Kislev. It's a renewal of what? Of celebrating the primis HaTeira, the Nishmosa Daraisa given to us, and given to us, and especially after the Gu'ula, which of course tells us that after every darkness there has to come some greater light. Because like, why couldn't Hashem just simply come and say, hey, time has come and now I'm telling you, start spreading chassidus. For some reason, just like Matan Teda followed Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, Yitzhiz Kislev followed a painful period of, a, not a long period, but a 20, 52, 50, 52 days of imprisonment with all the risks and all the fears that that, 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 that entailed. To lead as again the Rebbe Rashab says, it's hard to say this, he says, it's difficult to say this, but Zayis, an olive, does not deliver its oil until you press it. So he says, it's hard to say this on the Alter Rebbe, but by the pressure that put him in this difficult situation, that brought the real special oil. And oil, of course, as this explains, is Primis Hatera, <coughs> in Primis Hatera itself, there's wine, and even deeper is oil. <coughs> So what do you have on this? What you have from this is that Rosh Hashanah is a, a, a simply a powerful day that every year renews this commitment and this process of revealing Primis Ateda. Now what does this Primis Ateda offer to the child that's not well? Whether it's a child born in captivity, meaning has no awareness, or many of us who may have aware but we don't really personally relate to it. It does exactly that. It wakes up the Neshama. Just like the name Yisrael, which is the reason that the Abba was called Yisrael, because when someone faints, Yisrael, Bnei Yisrael, Klal Yisrael was in a state of a faint state, comatose state. You whisper the name, it revives the person from the deepest essence of their soul. Chassidus, that's what Chassidus does. It touches the soul. So Nikola the Teda tells you the mechanics, what God wants us to do. 
obviously everybody has a, every a body has a soul within it. But for many years we were able to go with that because the environment was a pure environment. They weren't the same challenges. Without going into all the reasons, but as the darkness increased, and the darkness increased to the point where we're no longer living in that shtetl, we're no longer living in that pure, insulated and isolated environment. So now comes the time we have to articulate the inarticulate, and that's what Chassidus does. It articulates the neshama of things. What is a neshama? The importance of loving a soul, the joy that comes from the soul, the soul's mission in this world, the soul's relationship, relationship with God, the dimensions of the soul. That's what Chassidus is. I don't want to use the word science, but this is the, a blueprint of the neshama of the soul, a blueprint of the soul's mission, and that's what it addresses. Not just how to do it, not just what's in your tool chest, but how to use the tool chest. And today we need that. We need to articulate it. Once upon a time, there was a time where it was known, it was a given. Today it's not a given, unfortunately. So this addresses that. This is among many other ways to explain the revelation of this. And this gives us more than a fighting chance. It gives us an offense, that's, or the best defense is offense, to deal with all the challenges that we have, the inundation and the exposure to all types of, we'll call it alien winds that are blowing, attracting us, trying to seduce and tempt us with, and get our attention. And God knows we all know in our own lives what's going on. So the more you can empower the arsenal of your soul, with weapons, and I mean spiritual weapons, to give it that confidence, to give it that conviction, to give it that passion, and that connection to something transcendent, to the divine, the more you can counter all these forces. The second reason given is because in the evolution of generations and millennia, we're now in the sixth millennia. Tovshin Pei. We have 20 more years, I'm sorry, 220 more years will be the end of the sixth millennia. Sixth millennia corresponds to Friday. On Friday, the din is that you begin to taste from the foods of Shabbos. Shabbos is the Messianic seventh millennia. That doesn't mean it's to wait, to wait till the seventh. It can begin in the sixth as we do. Shabbos begins, especially with taste for Shabbos. We begin earlier. So we begin to taste as the end of Golos comes. We begin to taste of the power that will be revealed when Mashiach comes. The inner soul of Teda. After all the years of what we've gone through, like I said earlier, darkness leads to deeper light. Which really explains that these two reasons are actually interdependent. The more dark, you need more light. What light are you getting? The light of Mashiach, to counter the challenges of our time. So Chassidus is meant to wake, awaken our souls, to put us laser focus. why are we here? not to make money, not to be happy, not to pleasure ourselves, but to fulfill a higher will and do so with excitement, with passion, with relevance. And that's exactly the spirit of this program. My life, Chassidus applied to my life, to take Chassidus and use it in the way it was always meant to be used, translate it into terms that infuse our emotional, psychological, and personal lives with meaning and purpose and direction and a sense of urgency and loving it all the way, not as some burden, but something that you really see resonates with you as being your voice being expressed. Now, of course, there are many other ways to explain it, and I've talked about the Teskis of the previous years, and I'll give you the references right now in episodes 47, 92, 142, 191, and 237, among many other times. 
And this is a good time to do a little housekeeping since we are referring to the archives. We have a very brand new website called chsidasupply.com that has all this episode and all previous episodes archived. You can download it, whether it's a, as a MP3 or as a podcast or on all other platforms, our WhatsApp platform. So every possible channel and platform, which of course were created for spreading chsidas. So we're trying to use them all for that purpose. You can find, as I said, all the archives. You can also find the essays, beautiful, powerful essays, thousands at this point, written by people of all walks of life, applying chassidus to life, contemporary life, as well as pose any question you wish anonymously in the forum that you'll find at chassidusapply.com. And there's many other resources that we're continuing to add there in applying chassidus to life, including summaries and applications from Samarvov, the Hemshech Samarvov, the Rebbe Rashab, Hemshech Hayim Beis. This is all the 100th year of the Rebbe Rashab's Histalkus, Tofresh Pei, Tofshin Pei, and much more. Since a question came in, a housekeeping question, let me address it. Someone wrote us that they find it annoying to the transliterated text that now goes across the bottom screen of these videos. The words are way over the mark and are a tremendous distraction when viewing the program. So I have to just say, and, and let me just read the whole thing. Please, please return to the format that has worked so well until now without that transcript. Much thanks from a long-time listener. So we looked into this. I'm just saying it for those that may have this issue. This is an issue on the user's end, not our end. YouTube has the option to read a transcript while the words are being spoken, as you hear me speaking now, that you can actually read it. If that's turned on, that's what you're going to see. We did nothing, we, nothing different. So I'm just sharing. For those of you that this is irrelevant, so please ignore this. But since someone did write, and I'm assuming maybe some other people may have this, this is a, it is a feature you could use. It actually, for some people, are very helpful who like to read. It can actually print out a transcript of each program. It's literally, YouTube does this. It's a free service that's embedded inside the videos. But we're not doing this, so you probably should check your settings if you want to just turn that off. Okay, I know it's a little technical, but part of life. So with Yutes Kislev, and we'll talk more about Chassidus as we go in this show, in this program, I want to move to Vayeshev, and then go back to Tanya and Chassidus and so on. Since this week is also Parsha Vayeshev, the Rebbe always talks about the connection between the Yom Tevim, from the Shalah to the Parsha, which is being read, that even though those holidays, like Hanukkah and Purim, came long after the Chumash, Nevertheless, everything since this, the Estaka about Isa about Alma, the Teda is the blueprint that precedes the world, therefore, in the Teda is hinted to even things like Hanukkah, including Yutas Kislev. And the Rebbe connects the Parshas Vayishlach and Vayeshev, as well as the Friedrich Rebbe and other Sikhs. And essentially, the story is, Tarnik from Vayishlach, it says in the Sikh from the Friedrich Rebbe, that Yutas Kislev gave the power to be Mesakin, the Shvira Sakel, in the shattering of the containers, which is the end of Parsha Vayishlach, the story of Esau. That's one hint. Now we go into Parsha Vayeshev. Vayeshev, of course, is Yaakov wants to sit Bishalva, wants to be living at peace after everything he's gone through in the 20 years by Lovon, his confrontations with Esau. Difficult life from birth, not just from birth, from pregnancy. So Bikish Yaakov Leishev Bishalva, he wants to sit at peace. A koftzal of Yesuf. As Rashi says, the tzaddikim can't be at peace in this world. And what comes next? The next, the next challenge, maybe the greatest one of all, his beloved dear son, Yosef, is ripped away from him. As the subsequent story of the Pasha goes, by the brothers 
who sell him to slavery, first want to kill him. Now the end of the story, of course, is going to be that Yosef is going to become the second in command, the Mishnah Lamelech, and will sustain the entire world and save Yaakov and his family. And this will be the beginning of the Eden, the Jews coming down to Mitzrayim, which would again lead to a descent into the Golis Mitzrayim, the bondage, the Shibud, Golis Mitzrayim. But that too would lead them to make them into a great nation and ultimately receive the Torah and the rest is history. The Yesuf Hurud Mitzrayim, as the verse says in this week's chapter, Yesuf was Hurud Mitzrayim, he went down to Egypt is the beginning of the Yerida Mitzrayim that later would bring all the Jewish people a little while later. So the Rebbe, one of the explanations, the connection to Yutes Kislev, again, the same story, replayed, that the Alta Rebbe was spreading Chassidus, was developing Teres Chabad, that would give such tools, and indispensable, powerful tools, to be the best possible Jew you can be, to the way it says that the Baal Shem Tov said, the Baal Shem Tov taught how every Jew can serve God, can serve God. The Alta Rebbe taught how every Jew can serve God. One example given by the Rabbeim is al Shem Tov provided a ladder. And the Alta Rebbe taught us how to climb the ladder. So everything was going smoothly. There was the challenges of the Tzatzha Kenege, the Misnagdim that were opposing. But it all came to a head in the greatest challenge when he was put into prison, exactly as Yosef was put into prison. But from that came the Malchus. Yosef came out from that to become a great king. Even though at the time, great leader, at the time, it seemed dark, but all the greatness began after that. So Yutas Kislev is exactly that, a darkness that proceeded, only to lead to a new, a, new ep, a new era of revelation, a new era of disseminating and teaching and spreading chassidus in a way that every human being can understand it with Chabad Shebeseichel. So that's one general connection. There are many others in the Sichas, more specific details, but that's one with Vayeshev. How does it relate to us? Thank God today we're not living in that state. Well, everybody has in their own personal life sometimes a setback where you want to have peace and it doesn't always work out. So no, it's always meant to lead you to greater revelations and greater strengths. So all of Chassidus came at a heavy price. Heavy price, a ben chela, sick child, as I mentioned in the analogy. Came at a heavy price where, where there were difficulties that had to be broken through. But once they're broken through, you suddenly recognize the power of what Chassidus is, as uh, it says in the Sichas, in the letters, that after Gula Vyutas Kislev became a cloud, this was known, that Yat Chassidim will always be al that Chassidim will always prevail. Not in a gloating fashion, not in a fashion of arrogance, God forbid, because as the Alter Rebbe writes in the classic, which is also a posuk in Vayishlach, last week's Pasha. I am humbled by all these kindness. And Alter Rebbe says not to gloat and not to feel proud and be humbled by all this. But there's still that element of recognizing that a door has been opened up. A new era has opened, a new channel, a new tzinner has opened up with the spreading of chassidus and chassidim will be successful as we saw. That Alter Rebbe's success, the gula, the generations that followed, there were so many times that they could have, God forbid, been, been stopped. And it continued to prevail to the point now in the 21st century. You see the spreading of Chassidus. You see the celebrations of Yutas Kislev all around the world. You see the effect of Chassidus on people's lives. There's a lot more work to be done, no question. But you cannot argue that success has been proven. Now we have to use that success to take it further and never take for granted 
but actually take it and build upon it to the point where we create a real Hasidic revolution in the world to teach people how Hasidists can empower their neshama, teaches them about their soul, an x-ray of the soul that teaches you who you are and teaches you about your life. I was just coming this weekend from a Torah science conference in Florida. And this is one of the themes I spoke about. How Teda, especially Primus Teda, Chesidus, can illuminate true, even scientific concepts. And new scientific ideas that have recently developed, whether it's in the area of quantum mechanics, or in the area of neuroscience, or in the area of conscious and, and uh, superconscious, or uh, other areas of physics and science, medicine and so on, you literally see the parallels how Chassidus can enrich understanding even basic sciences, fundamental sciences, especially the deeper ones that talk about the more abstract states on the quantum level, and vice versa. The, the, when you see the science, it teaches you a new dimension in appreciating Chassidus. So we'll be posting a video about, of my talk on this topic that I gave this morning, and a PowerPoint, so that will be a new feature that we are, will add to, um, to, this, uh, to our site. Okay, Vayeshev was also discussed in episodes 142, 191, and 237. Now we'll go to another question. These are questions that I gather that are coming from, of course, you viewers. And I said, as I mentioned many times, we're, there's a backlog, but we're covering everything, and we will catch up, and we'll always cover it, so just be patient. But I decided, since it's Yutas Kislev, and um, it would be appropriate to talk a little more about Chassidus and questions related to it. So I'm going to read a few questions that came in in relation to this topic. They came in recently or a few months ago, but very re relevant to our time now, time of the year, which is the month of Kislev, just a few days before Yutas Kislev. How can we compare Tanya to Tadish Shebiksav? So this, of course, is based on a statement made by the Rabbeim. I think it began already in the Semach Tzedek's time. I'll share a story about that in a moment. That Tanya is called Tere Shebek of Chassidus. As a matter of fact, the letters, the way Tanya was printed, was letters like Chumash, Eisus Murubois, meaning like all capital. Not Rashi letters like Tere Elikuta Tere, were Rashi letters, because that was considered like Rashi of Chassidus, commentary on Chassidus. Even though, yeah, in later years, the Rebbe, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe instructed that all Chassidus should start being printed, not in Rashi, but in Eisus Murubois, meaning in black letters as we have them now. But black letters, the original was the Tanya, like Tere Shebek and that's how it has been treated, Tere Shebek of Chassidus. So here's what the questioner writes. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, growing up we were taught that the Tanya is the Tere Shebek of Chassidus, the written Tere of Chassidus, and thus can be put on top of any other Sefer, and, should not be under, and it should not be placed under any other Sefer. Because like we put a Chumash on top, we don't put it under other Sefer, and the same with Tanya. With the exception of the Chumash, which neither, goes, go, which neither goes on top or under a Tanya. So it's equivalent. To me, this, to me, this seems a little exaggerated. To take a Sefer, as holy and, and important as it is, and compare it to the Sefer which Hashem himself dictated. Not to mention the fact that Allah has clearly stated rules for Svarim organization, and that doesn't, this doesn't seem to fit in them. I want to, I want to point out that Chitas, that, that in the Chitas, we find the Tanya under the Tehillim. Assuming that this order was set by the Rebbe. So he means the bound chitas, you have first chumash, tilim, and then tanya. Is there a source for this, and how should one understand this? Thank you very much. Okay, so there's a source that is called Tereshe Bixav of Chassidus. People have asked, how could you make such a statement? So obviously, it's saying Tereshe Bixav of Chassidus. It doesn't say it's a new Tereshe Bixav, God forbid. 
remains Exactly as you said, given at Har Sinai, to Moshe Rabbeinu, and then taught to the Eden. In Chassidus, there's also, because we always have microcosm, macrocosm, relative. In Chassidus, there's also a Teresh HaBiksav and Teresh So first of all, let's just explain it in a very basic, Balbatisha way. That means, like, just like, for example, sometimes Mishnah, compared to Gemara, is not called Teresh HaBiksav, but relatively speaking, it it's, has, a, has more superior quality because it comes from the Tanoim. And then comes the interpretation. Then there's Chesimus Hashas. So we have constantly in Teda where there's a more authoritative source and the rest is commentary on that. It's not to dismiss the commentary and it's not to, in Teda we're not trying to, it's not a favoritism or a popularity contest. It's all one Teda. Some things need to be written, some things need to be explained. Teda bepirusha nitna. Tanya, the written Tanya is what the Alter Rebbe wanted to put down. That's why he wrote it himself. All the other Maimonim of the Alter Rebbe, he did not write. These were Hanochas. Because this the Alter Rebbe felt he's putting down the main doctrine of what Chassidus is, and everything else would be interpretation and commentary, including the Rabbeim, including his own Maimonim, and of course the other Rabbeim. So, in the context of Chassidus, that Teresh Shabbat of Chassidus, the story with the Tzemach Tzedek is Tzemach Tzedek, in order to make Tanya easier to read, that Tzemach Tzedek had a consideration that he would print a Tanya Menukad, meaning a Tanya with Nukudis. Like we have in Sefer Teresh, there's no Nukudis, there's no punctuation, how to pronounce a word. Tanya is also that way. So he thought he'd print with uh, Nukudis. Tanya, the safe pay to Gimel, the Nida, and so on. How to pronounce it. There are many words that need that. One night, while his plans were not yet actualized, but he was thinking about it, the Alter Rebbe comes to him in a dream, asked to Shailen Halacha, what happens if someone writes a safe Teda Menukud? Someone went to scribe, and just as they write the letters, he added Nukudis. Bereshis under Abeza Shva. Etc. Someone added the Kudus in a Sefer Teda, actual Sefer Teda, not in a companion that is used by Balkeda, the ones that read the Teda. The Samach Tzedek awoke and he dismissed it. He thought, you know, he doesn't see an issue with it. But then the Alter Rebbe came again to him in the Cholm. So he realized there's something serious. He looked into it. And he realized, yes, it's a problem. But a problem line, it's a problem to write a sefer with the Kudu. Then he chaps what's going on. Al Tareba was telling him the same with his tanya. So why takanat? What's wrong with writing a sefer in the Kudu? making it easier. Because some things have to be in its pure, pristine form exactly it was given from above. Then there's a need for us to add Tere Shabbat, which also calls, includes the Nikudis, the punctuation, how to pronounce the words. The same thing with tanya. There are certain books that have to remain in their pristine form. That doesn't mean you can't write, publish a book. We have Biyuri Mintanya, Shiyuri Mintanya, that have edited himself, comments on Tanya, but always remain that original because it maintains the integrity of the original and then go ahead and you um, explain it or, or pronounce it properly because it retains integrity. Quality control sometimes is what it's called. And that is true in all areas of wisdom even the non-Jewish wisdom and secular wisdom, and especially in the holy wisdom, Torah, the holiness. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be understood. It just means there's also something greater, a certain sense of awe and a certain respect that comes from that. As far as placing it, look, in that sense, yes, you, you want, you want, I'm not talking about a Chumish now, we're talking about Tanya, it should not be placed under others for him. 
why it's bound in a chitas? First of all, bound in a book. You could also bind a chumash in a book, and there's, there's a cover, and there's other things perhaps before it. I mean, I, the truth is, I didn't look into it. If anyone has any additional comments or halachic pointers, or even things from the Rebbe on this, please, by all means, share at our, on our forum, and I'll share it with the audience. But what's wrong with saying the respect of a Tanya? We're not trying to compare it to a Chumash in its own way. It's a Tereh Shebiksav. So yes, if you put a Tanya and look at the Tereh, Tereh, Tanya should be on top. And when it comes to the Chumash and Tehillim, which are the Sifri Kedish, the Tereh Shebiksav, the Chav Dalet Sifri Kedish, they do have precedent. And it wouldn't make sense to print a Tanya first. No one says that the Tereh Shebiksav of Chassidus is higher than the Tereh Shebiksav of Tereh in general. Tehillim, comes after Chumash, and then afterwards Tanya. So I think it's a balanced approach. I don't think it's over-exaggerated. And there are sources for the ideas. And above all, it's coming to teach us what Tanya comes to, came to, give, to contribute to us. There was someone sitting at the table with Samach Tzedek, and he was somewhat like dismissing that Samach Tzedek mentioned Tanya. So he said, what's a Tanya Shenuv Gitan? What did Tanya already contribute? Samach Tzedek heard what he asked, and he looked at him and said, did you ever learn Tanya? He says, no. He says, in Dira, Tastaka Ganesh Tov Gitan. In you, Ataka didn't contribute anything because you didn't learn it. So Tanya is a gift. As a matter of fact, the chapters correspond to the days the Alta Rebbe sat in prison. And this gift of Tanya is to give us, as the Alta Rebbe writes, the Tokhelik Rishon of Tanya, Lukute Eitzis, all the advice necessary to, in serving God, as we've talked about many times. Basically, a blueprint for living the healthiest possible life in fulfilling the divine calling that you have, dealing with the challenges we have, the struggle, the battle between the two souls, and the rest of what Tanya addresses. So there's a Tereshebik Sav of that. It's like a written, here's the written blueprint. And it's not meant to be diluted. Then explain that. Of course explain it. Give classes and discuss it in all languages. But you always want to retain that original so you can always go back. Just like it says, Menohan Mila, the Amar Kra. In Gemara, every time any Tana, Ameda, says something, the right way the question, Menohan Mila, how do you know that? Fact. How do you know that? The Amar Kra, because the Pasuk says, they always bring a proof from Tereshe Biksav. So you have a reality check. As I mentioned, quality control going back to the original source where it says in Tanya. Now, it would be an interesting study if you can actually find all the sugis and chassidus in Tanya. Because remember, Chelek Rishon, Lekut HaMorim, is Lekut HaEitzis. The Haskola of chassidus really is, even though there's plenty of Haskola there, but the Alter Rebbe didn't write it to present the doctrine of Chabad. Shar Yechud Vamuna is the doctrine of Chabad. Bitl. Savas Bechal Rega perpetual creation. How do you explain Ahdus Hashem, the unity of God? So though in Chelek Rishon, you also have that in Perechov, Chafalov, other chapters that talk about this theological elements, but its main focus is Aveda. How to serve. And Aetzis, advice, how to connect to God with all the difficult challenges we may have. There was a Havamina that the Alter Rebbe was going to publish Shaykhid Vamuna first and then Lukut Amorim. But he didn't do it at the end that way. The Rebbe explained sometimes the difference between Achedesh Hazeh and Breshish Bar. The Havamina was Achedesh should come first. Because as the Ikah is the mitzvah, as Rashi says. The first mitzvah. But you start with Breshish because Kayach 
Because you need to bring it into a blueprint for life. That ever speaks about it at length. I don't want to digress. But the point being, you need a Tereshebik Saf. So you could wonder, say, is everything Exodus hinted to in Tanya? No one ever did a full study on that. And is it included the Kutah Marim or the other Chalokim? Because remember, after that is a Geras Atshuva, then a Geras uh, Akedish, and then Quintus Achenen. So the themes are definitely there, and we know this statement. But that's another discussion, another requires its own research to find that connection with the Tereshebik Saf and the Tereshebik Saf and the exactly. Okay, next question. Why Chassidus was not taught earlier? I heard that the reason Chassidus was not revealed earlier is that it was too dangerous for it to have been disseminated in earlier times. I never understood what that meant. Can you give a concrete example from Chassidus that would have been dangerous if it would have been taught earlier? So firstly, that's not the only reason. That's one aspect I mentioned before that you don't learn why not? Because these are very subtle matters and if you speak to a public audience, they will not understand. Like he speaks there about people who have to understand, have a certain deeper understanding. You teach only advanced students the so-called the spirit and the deeper meaning. That's on a very basic level. Number two, it has tremendous power, the power to change worlds. And when it's taught in the right way, it can be very potent and very powerful in a good way. But if it's misunderstood... Look at the Dalit Shenichnusulapat, is that the four that went into the orchard? A search and a seeking for transcendence. If it's not done properly, you could get very burned, like Nadavaviu got burned and got and were, were killed in the fire, Ej Zara and the Beis Amigdash and the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies is a mystical experience. It's like seeing God without filters. What happens when you look at the sun without filters? It's not that the sun is destructive, we are not Kalim for it. The four that went into the Pardis, three of them, were injured. One died, one went insane, one became an apostate. And Rabbi Akiva, Nichnus B'Shalom he entered in peace and left in peace. So spiritual experiences can be very, very compelling and very seductive, but they could also be hurtful if you don't have the kalim for it. That's why in there's so much talk about Rotze Yashuv, a famous maimer, Achri Meish Tafresh Memtes, where he talks about you have to have a Rotze, a Rotze is a yearning but you have to have integration. Tension and resolution. If a heart is only going to climb mountains, peaks, and not resolve itself in a wave, in a valley, that's a problem. It has to be a perfect balance like a wave. So spiritual growth and spiritual yearnings, the same is true. So the danger part is that. The Rebbe referred to it when he even published Ayin Beis and Tavshin Lamed Zayin. You'd, you'd, uh, when he spoke about Yutas Kislev, Tavshin Lamed Zion, 1976, it would have been the end of 76. So he said that there's a, there was a Sakana connected. We never figured out what the Sakana was, but the year afterwards, the Rebbe had the heart attack. The second printing of Ayin Bey, the year after, was the stroke. So there's something about powerful energies. Maybe there's a Tzatcha connected in heaven that when something great is being revealed, Matan Teda, for example, right away, on the, the other side comes to challenge it. Adam Wait a few hours, you can make Kiddush on the Chet and the Eitzadas. The, remember the accumulative power of all Yetzaharas of 7.8 billion people were all included in this Adam and Chava because they knew the, the, knew the stakes. So whenever the stakes are high in a great way, there's always going to be another force that pushes back. That's the way God created Tzimtzum and Gili. So therefore, yes, there is elements danger in that sense. And that's why it was very carefully taught. But there came a point, as I mentioned before, 
more darkness, need more light, a taste of Mashiach, that change matters. So why Chassidus was not taught earlier? Not because it was dangerous then and now it's not dangerous. Whatever was then is now. The difference is the circumstances. Today there's, more, there's a need for certain things, like we have to save the child, an analogy I gave before. When we lived, lived in a world where there were Yechidus Gul, individuals knew Primis Ater, but it was kept very secret. Rajbi taught it to a very select group. You had the Idra Rabba, the Idra Zuta, the 10 students, the group of 10, <coughs> group of seven. And then it was taught, or teacher the student in a very quiet way, discreet way. And there's books that already document that. And there came a point that this Primis Ateda was always there, was always the undercurrent. Like Rajbi, he was a big Tana, but he was also Baal Primis Baal Azeya, the author of the Zaya. So it was known, but more the masses did not need to know it. They had to do their thing, and this, since the environment was a pure one, these keepers of the flame covered everybody else, so to speak. Just like there are other things in Tater. Not everybody's a scholar in every area. But there came a point where mitzvah legal because of the challenges and because getting closer to Mashiach. And that changed things, and that's why Chassidus is being revealed. The same reason that Rabbeinu HaKadosh and his colleagues came to the determination that now Tater Shabbat Peh, which almost a thousand years was taught only orally, had to be written down. You could ask the same question. Why is it written down now? Because they saw it as being forgotten. Even though there's a strict prohibition not to write down the words that were stated orally, but they saw that the their time comes to do something for God, you can even absolve something in the Teda. Only done very carefully and by the scholars and Yerushalayim like them. So this isn't a license for anyone to do things, whatever they want. And the same thing is with, um, with the Chassidus, the Gili of Chassidus. Which leads me to the next question. Following the opinion of the majority regarding Chassidus, there's been lots of opposition. Why don't we follow the, the opinion of the majority? There's been lots of opposition to Chassidus in history. Yeah, we talked about that before. Starting from the Baal Shem Tev and the Alter Rebbe, of course. The general halach is that we follow the majority of the Rabbanim in regards to matters of Teda Judaism. However, much of the time, the majority of Rabbanim were opposed to Chassidus. In the times of the Vilna Gaon for sure, but also recently with the Rosh Yeshiva from Bnei Brak, etc. How is it permitted to follow the Das Yochid, meaning the opinion of an individual, if the majority of the Rabbanim and Rosh Yeshivas were against it? Okay. Well, let's just begin with something about the Rav and so on. In the time of the Beis Amigdash, there was a Sanhedrin. Well, it started from Meshur Rabbeinu. A Sanhedrin, 71, different sides for different times. What was the Sanhedrin? These were the Reishi Yisrael. These were the people who were the scholars of the generation. And they are like the Supreme Court. So though they were lower courts, they were the final say. Judaism was centralized in the time of Meshur Rabbeinu, where Meshur was, the Midbar, and then later by the Beis Amigdash. And they sat at the Pesach Hazor. That's where the Sanhedrin sat, at the door of the opening to the Beis Amigdash. Because they were connected. It was a centralized. Yerushalayim was on a level where you could trust these people. What happened when the Beis Hamidrash was destroyed? It became decentralized. Teda always remains with the full authority of Teda. But when Rabbi Yechon Mezaki said his, his immortal words, Tenli, Yavne v'chachamel, and he was criticized for that. Give me Yavne and its scholars. That's what his request from the Romans was. And people said, why don't you just request rebuilding the Beis Hamidrash? Because he recognized that the time has come because Mepnecha Te'enu, due to our sins, tragically, we would now be dispersed. And he knew the prophecies, and he knew what Yechezkel had heard from Hashem. And he knew, Ma'at, 
we'll need to have a mini Migdash, which is a basic Knesset and a basic Medish. So he said, tell me Chachma Yavana, tell me Yavna V'chachameh, because he wanted to create an oasis that would be able to perpetuate Tehidah even in the difficult times. And with that was established the concept of building in each community a shul, a base medish, a yeshiva. And since then, it's, that's the way it is. Each community had its rabbis and they ruled for that community. It's only recently that communities began to communicate with each other, even though it goes back. But it was not a common thing. Today it's very easy because it's a global village. But there were times where the Rambam lived, even though his writings reached other places, but there was controversy because it wasn't easy communications. So essentially it worked well, because each community had its rabbis. There was no concept of a Sanhedrin, the Rav. In the community, the Rav mattered. So now, when the Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi came and said, What was he saying? The time has come. Now, I'm sure some may have disagreed with him. I never did research. But it became obvious and the few leaders that understood, they were true leaders, they understood this was the time. And in the beginning, it may have been a minority, but then it became a majority. And other things as well. The Ramban was criticized in his time. The Ramban, a gen- two generations later, wrote a whole letter of Isnatzlus to defend the Ramban. So there are many times things happen that may come from an individual, from an individual, from a, you can even say a minority, but it's still what God wants. How do you know? That's why you have Hilchus Mamrim. Not just go by the majority, you also know time passes. Has it been accepted by the mainstream? What, is, what, is, what are the results, what are the consequences of this? Some things turn out to be tragedy, and then you realize it was a mistake. But some things turn out to be adding, increasing Yerushalayim. And that's what Chassidus has proven itself. So it may have begun, yes, about Shemtev and a few students, but the people that were drawn to him were not, they were people that blessed Big Talmud Chachamim. Because a truth resonated, just like by the Arizal. You could have also dismissed him. People didn't even know who he was as he was revealing things. So it's not so black and white about the majority because sometimes some things come and it takes time to realize. Sometimes it's immediate. Like the Arizal, it was immediate. That's a general answer to this question. And of course, there's halachas that tell us what means something being accepted by the mainstream. And you have to look at the reasons as well. The reasons have to come from Tater reasons. If you have somebody who comes and says, I don't accept it for whatever their own personal thing, that's not Teda. The bottom line is, Chassidus is primis at Teda, not the no chizachidus from the Alter Rebbe, but it's based on Mepisofrim, Mepisefrim, those that came before him, the Arizal and others. So you're not talking about some new Teda, a new way of teaching it, a new way of applying it, a new way of making it relevant. But the Teda is solidly based on everything that came before it. So that all has to be taken into account when, asking, when addressing such a question. Okay, let's go to the next question. Does the, bo- the energy in the body and the soul, does the body have its own energy besides the life force coming to it from the soul? Shalom. I heard the idea in that there are two types of energies in a human. One is the soul, the neshama, okay, and its ten powers, faculties, and two is the energy of the body itself. After the soul passes on, the energy of the body leaves after the soul. My question is, how is it possible that a body can be frozen? Does that mean that the energy of the body, which is probably a ruchnius, a spiritual energy, can be trapped in the body for many years after the soul passed on? Thank you. Thanks. So yes, indeed. So this explains, and it's based actually on Pesach we say every Friday, in the introduction to Tikkun Ezeir, Ishtaru kegufa b'leinishmosa. That when the energies leave the containers in Atzilis, they remain like a body without a soul. 
but a body remains. If the soul was the, the sole sustenance, not just of the life force that gives a body life, but the mere existence of it, as soon as the soul is gone, the body should leave. But no, the energy can leave. Like you could take energy, it could shut the electricity and the bulb isn't shining anymore, but the bulb is still there. So what sustains the bulb? So Chassidus explains, based on that, that it has its own divine energy. Kalim have their own divine energy to give them substance, to be a keli. To bring that energy alive comes through the soul. That means an active body, not just a corpse, God forbid. But Chassidus goes even further. And there's a beautiful sikh in Yud Shvat Sikh in Tov Chelik Vov, that talks about it. That even the energy that is the, the, that is the domain of the body's energy, coming from Shevav Kalm, a power that sustains, I'm talking now the, 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 the body itself, not as a living body, but a, the, the mere fact that that is a body, also rides into the body through the Er Hanasham. That's why you don't just have an adult body and a soul simply enters into it. The body develops as the soul and the body get to acclimate one to another during pregnancy. Upon death, the soul leaves, and that's why the body remains, because it has its own energy, but it doesn't remain forever. It decomposes, as the Rebbe explains there, because it also, the soul gives it, that energy comes through the soul, but it's not only the soul, the soul is essentially activating the power and energy in the body itself. So it both gives it life and also reveals the power that it itself has. When we speak about Mashiach coming and say, Yesh HaNivra will be one with the Yesh HaMiti, he talk about the Makabal, the Keli will become greater than the light, than the Ur, is talking exactly about that, that the power that the Keli has, the divine power comes from a greater place than the power that's in light. But it's not activated, it's not revealed. Mashiach come, we'll see the revelation of that. This is when it says the Gvuris will be higher than the Chsodim, the Keli will be higher than the Ur, and so on. As far as freezing it, look, there's cyrogenic freezing, there's the DNA, there's this uh, etzem luz, what we say, something remains even after a body decomposes. There's still the bones and there's a part of a bone that never, decom- never disappears. So there's no question, even in the body, there are remnants that remain, like a reshimu, a type of, um, uh, a uh, reshimu is not a residue, a type of uh, trace that remains, like during sleep, a trace of life remains, but, but sleep is only one sixtieth of death. By death, something remains, so the body is not completely divorced of the energy of the soul. The freezing part, you could freeze the body, but it's still not going to come to life until you do something more than that. So yes, there is some connection to it, but uh, this is the essential explanation. Okay. So I wanted to do a little follow-up. And uh, so there's a question, a question that's connected to the follow-up. We talked last week about um, how do we explain the deception found in these Torah chapters? First, the deception of Yaakov deceiving Yitzchak together with Rivka for the brachas, the blessings that were taken, stolen, so to speak, from Esav. And then in the Nasbik's chapter, Lovan. Lovan, and together with his daughters, all deceiving Yaakov with first the wife. He wanted Rachel and ended up being deceived and ended up being Leah. And we discussed the question was, how did they go along with it? Mele Lovan, you could say he's a deceiver. He's a sly, conniving thief. A lowlife. But how about Leah? So Rachel explained because she didn't want to embarrass her sister. But still, she's deceiving the man that loves her, the man that came to marry her. The man who told her, as the Gemara explains, that, that, um, that, uh, the, that what he gave her the signs in order to counter the deceit that Lovan may do. But he also told her something. He said to her, 
I'm his brother in Amoyas. I'm like his brother, meaning love. And, because, and the Rachel asked, how could you be a tzaddik, be someone that's a deceiver? He says, if the deceiving will help counter the deceit from the, from the wicked one, it's allowed. So Rachel learned from that, something deeper. And we started speaking about that, and I wanted to continue that discussion and lead that also into the Shvatim, which we have our own Pasha this week. It was also seemingly unacceptable behavior by this tribe. So let's begin, and let me see how much I can cover. If not, I'll continue, because the story, of course, continues in the coming weeks. So let's first do the part two about the deception. So I spoke about from Teres Chaim, the Leia from Tereir, from Teres Chaim, based on the Kabbalah and so on, that Leia and Rochel was the words of Almedis Kasi and Almedis Galibina and Malchus. Hidden worlds and revealed worlds. And Yaakov felt his mate, his soulmate, was the revealed world of Malchus. Teferas of Yaakov would unite with Malchus Rochel. And that would bring the next generation, that would bring revelation. But that was not correct. You needed also Leia. You needed the power from a higher place, Bina. The Teres Chaim explains two reasons why Bina was not, was not accessible to Yaakov. So he did not feel, he wasn't drawn there. First of all, it was beyond him. And second of all, Tainuk Tmidi, it's something that's constant. And that does not give the pleasure necessary to build. We spoke about that more at length last week. I'm not going to go over that. So essentially, understanding the Ramoyes, so the ultimate Mitla Rebbe says there, that Ramoyes, sometimes you need to have Ramoyes to reveal higher levels that are beyond you. Because you yourself willingly and consciously would never choose that. So the only way to get it to you is by giving it to you in a way of deception. So the deceiving is not deceiving justifiable, but it's a way of like packaging and smuggling in a higher force that you yourself are not yet aware of. That's essentially what the Mitla Rebbe says. But there's another explanation for Ramoyes. And that is that when you're dealing, as Yaakov said, with someone that is deceptive, you have to use those tools. Now, this has to be done with great care. This is not a justification of being a deceiver. But the example for this would be the famous example of the Moshe of the Baal Shem Tov, when the king sends away his son from his kingdom because he wants him to earn his right and not be spoiled in the palace. So he sends him a letter several times a year to remind him that you're the king that's being groomed to be a sensitive leader. And when the, the, son, the king's son gets the letter, suddenly remembers. And when it's a long mashal, I'm just giving it to you briefly. So what does he do? He can't celebrate in the streets with the people. They won't appreciate. They may even be resentful. So he throws a party. So they celebrate because they have free food and free drinks. And he's celebrating because he received a letter from Hashem. We celebrate our Shabbos with food and Yom Tov. It's a letter from God. Why food? Because the Nefesh Abamis and the body will never go along. They don't relate to spiritual revelations. So they're celebrating because they're getting good food. So in a way, you're deceiving them to celebrate. When you give a child a candy for learning Torah, you could say it's deceiving. Why don't you just tell them, Torah is emes. Do it for the sweetness of Torah as an end in itself. It's not deceiving, explains the Rambam. It's dressing it in garments that he can relate to. A moshal is not a deception. It's a way of conveying an idea, but you have to put it into the garments. So Yaakov dressed up in the garments of Esau, because in a world of where it's not yet clear, you have to dress it up in those garments so it should become obvious. So Ramoyas has another meaning, that it comes from a place that's being dressed up in those garments. With Lovan, that was the way to deal with this. Rochel obviously sensed it. Leah sensed it as well. So it wasn't just a conspiracy to deceive Yaakov. It was ultimately achieving the highest goals possible. And Yaakov's conscious tefetis 
was not completely aware of it. And they're the ones that, that taught him this. And you see Yaakov embraced it. At the end of the day, you see that Lay with Lay had the six children and, the, the, and, and half of the tribes. And then later he's together with Lay and the Maras of Machpela, etc., etc. It also brings to mind, you know, time is running short here. Let me see. Hmm. I wanted to cover more material. I guess we'll have to just push it off. That's how it is. I saw recently a note where, a, um, where a Moshe Pinchas Katz, all of Shalom, was a koyin, and he was invited to come in to give a bracha to the Rebbe at the 40th anniversary. I believe it was the 40th anniversary. Yeah. Of the Rebbe and the Rebbe, Yudal Kislev, the 40th would be Tavshin Chavtes. And when he came in, Rabbi Shmuel told him, since you're koyin, bench the Rebbe. He wasn't ready, so he was very uncomfortable. He wrote letter related to the Rebbe, Lo Yadaiti. I didn't know I was being benched, and I feel I want to apologize that I didn't do the job properly, is how he felt. The Rebbe circled the words Leyadaiti. And said these words. The primary and the source of all blessings forever was Yitzchok Dafke would draw them down. That's what it says in Siddur. Venimshuk Dafke Aide Shaloyadaiti. Dafka in a way, Lo Yadaiti, Yitzchak wasn't there with nowhere, because he was thought it was Esav. And he did Tzemach Tzedek, bring, he brings the Rebbe Tzedek, the Tzemach Tzedek, Eira Teira, page 327. And it was done in a way that deceived him, Lo Yadaiti. So you see, sometimes Abrach has to come in a way that you yourself are not aware of it, like I said last week, Mashiach Bob, Behesachadas. Which means not just you're not aware, it's coming from a place that's higher than Das, higher than your ability to even imagine. Okay. Now, so I think that covers a little more on the topic. I did want to bring one more thing into this. There's a letter from the Rebbe. It's printed in Lakuta Sikhs, volume 10, page 114, where he talks about a contradiction seemingly between Tere'er and Tere's Chaim. That one says that Yaakov did know the world, did understand and comprehend the world of Alma Diskasi, the hidden world, and the Tedes Chaim says he didn't. The Rebbe writes, Lepele Godel Sharim of Furish al Asar. It's a Pele Godel, because right now Asar, on the thing it says in Tedeir, is talking about thought, the Asis Machshove, and Tedes Chaim, Besherish Le Primis Bina. So when you read it, it's not so clear what the Rebbe means, but I think if you look further in Tedes Chaim, you could see that Itaka speaks about two levels in Leah. And that could be what the Rebbe is hinting to. I mentioned as well that Eda Teda, the Rebbe says here, altogether doesn't talk about whether he did comprehend or did not. And then the Rebbe compares it also to the Gemara. I mentioned this last week, the Gemara and the Medrash, that also different ways why was Lay was called Snua, the hated one. But I wanted to add, I think I mentioned it, but I'll say again, in, in, in uh, the Kutta Teda of the Rizal, he actually says these words, Lay Hisig, that the Yitzchak did not comprehend the level of Leia. So I'm not sure why the Rebbe doesn't mention it. I just wanted to complete the picture. Look in that letter in case you're interested. It's a letter that needs more explanations. So I just wanted to round out and ground this topic. Okay. What else do we have on this topic? So as I said, the tribes, there's another question came in. I'll address this next week because of time limits. Also have some follow-ups. I feel bad. I don't always get to all the topics, but... I hope you'll bear with me. So let's jump straight to Chassidus' question, and then we'll do the essays. The Chassidus question is, what is the role of Yutas Kislev in the development of Chassidus? So I alluded to it before, he actually stated it. It's a very good question, an excellent question. 
Remember, when we talk Chassidus, Chassidus Klolis starts with the Baal Shem Tov. The, that carries on generation two, the Magid. Al-Tarebbe, of course, belonged to the Magid, as the Baal Shem Tov made it clear, was a student, one of the students of the Magid. So let's talk about the evolution of Chassidus for those three, and then we'll talk within the Al-Tarebbe itself, two stages. So the, Nukud, the, 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 the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid are called Keser, Atik and Arich. It's a Nukud. But it's a Nukud that's not even yet conscious. Because Chochm is a Nukudah that we'll speak about shortly. That's a Nukudah point, a concentrated, conscious idea. But what about the superconscious? Where it all originates, that's the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid. And that's why everything they said was in very brief Tehras. They established the foundations. Had you and I read them, I don't know if we'd be able to derive what we see now in Chassidus. However, the Altareb, especially being a direct student, did know how to draw it out. So these Nekudis was the first establishment. We know the basic principles of Chassidus, which is not, not, nothing new, but focusing on the flowers of Tehra. What is a Neshama? Avis Yisrael, Simcha, Hashgacha Pratis. That everything that we see in here has a lesson for us. Five of the most basic principles. All connected to seeing the soul, the unique soul in each person. The Magid, turned it into more of a doctrine with more mishalim and explaining it, but very short, brief. To the point, there's a tater from the Magid and a seilach hashteh chatzetzes. Chatzetzes are the two tr- are the trumpets. That it means chatzitzuras, two words, half of images, because God and us are like two half of an image. That Eber Hashab in Ayim Beis, volume two, has over 550 pages just on that tater. It's a little more tater than I just re- said, so it's around 10 lines. So you see there a perfect example. Comes the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe, with clear guidance and direction, even though some of the Talmudian Magad had a question about how the Alter Rebbe did it. But we know now from the letters of the Alter Rebbe defending it and the Rav Levi Yitzchak that this was directed and turned it into a comprehensive doctrine. In Arichis, relative to the Magad, Maimonim, were longer. But in this itself, there were two stages. There was the stage we call before Petersburg, sometimes called the Tatus of Lyozhne, the Maimarim Akhtsarim. You hear there's a volume of shorter Maimarim. So these are sometimes the length of the Bashemtiv and the Magad, sometimes longer. But the style is already developing. You see, it's already more of an explanation, more examples that we can relate to, more Chabad. But that was then. Petersburg changed everything, that became a new era. After Petterburg, as the Rebbe Rashab writes in Teter Shalom, says in Teter Shalom, that's a leksach, meaning he thinks that the Ike Yifutzah happened after Petterburg. Because that's when the floodgates opened. And then the Alta Rebbe began saying my modim and writing in a completely new way. Tanya is not short, Tanya is long. The my modim are long, relatively again, and explanatory. And you can compare, and there have been studies made of the Tatars before Petersburg and after. So essentially in the Shlav, so to speak, you're asking the development of Chassidus, Petersburg, Yutas Kislev opened up a whole new stage. And that's when the Chassidus we know today, or let's put it this way, what came from the Alter Rebbe to the next generation is really primarily the real expansive part of it and the development in ways that we can understand and explain it is a whole new world. And you can compare it yourself. Take a mimer, a short mimer from the Alter Rebbe, and look at a mimer that came after Petersburg. 
And the Maimorim, they actually, the, the editors, they take and they mar- remark which Maimor is which, and you can actually find comparisons. The Mitla Rebbe Bina took it to a whole other level. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, Yud Kislev tests, Kislev, Yud Kislev talks, programs. Mitla Rebbe turned, took one page of Alta Rebbe, turned it into eight pages or more. And each Rebbe contributed after that. But that answers, hopefully, the question. And of course, for us, the most relevant, the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, of bringing Chassidus into a language that we can explain even to the animal soul that it should begin to have a taste of godliness to bring the higher unity into this lower fragmented universe. Okay. With that, let us now move to the three essays. Every week we do essays from the essay contest of 2019. They're posted on my on chsidisapplied.com. And uh, essay number one in Hebrew, gender, from the perspective, from the lens of Judaism. So he, of course, addresses the whole issue of gender confusion that exists today. Identity crisis, identity politics, identity issues. So even though he says, halachically, we have enough material to address it, but because there's a lot of emotional stuff related to it, in this essay, I will try to answer the question, how Judaism looks at identity. And... um, is it something that is based simply on social and hormonal factors, or does it come from a much, or does it uh, does it come from a much higher place that may even, and uh, as it connected to the free will of a person or not? Okay, so that's what this essay is about—a very, uh, I guess, relevant essay—and I definitely suggest reading it. It's in Hebrew, and he explains it. He takes this and applies it to the whole discussion of identity. Um, just to give you some from Teirei, he brings the understanding of the dynamics of souls and identities, including gender. And of course, based on the Pesukim in Chumash, about male and female, and then different Talmudic statements. Very interesting, an interesting, intriguing essay. And I think reading this can give a very good um, picture that can help everybody deal with this issue, and especially Asi's words, to explain to others. So thank you for that. Essay number two is in English, In God We Trust, How to Effectively Overcome Stress. Well, let me just give the name. Essay one was the one, first one I just mentioned, Al-Khanan Weber, age 25, Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, Israel. This one, In God We Trust, How to Effectively Overcome Stress. Dina Hadingsfeld, age 20, Winnipeg, Canada, a student in Beis Chaim Mushka Seminary, Montreal. A large part of our day is often spent on countless worries and stress, she writes. We worry about work, deadlines, and bills. We stress about summer plans for next year. How do we deal with stress? How do we ultimately overcome it? So this essay, she says, will discuss what causes a person to get stressed and how chassidus empowers us to use betachem, trust, and change our perspectives, thereby eliminating the stress. goes on to firstly analyze stress brings some very good stuff also from the Center for Addiction and Mental Health and good material. Who's really in the driver's seat? A person has the power, but will they implement their power? ultimate betachen. The thing good, it will be good. Why does it work? Practical application using betachen, trust to battle stress. And some additional points and a conclusion with practical advice. Solid, solid essay. Thank you.
And finally, mind, heart, and action. A path to calm in the face of the unknown by Mushka Kaplan, age 19, Oak Park, Michigan, student of Eschanitz Fas Seminary. I've chosen to write about a topic that isn't very often addressed in such a form. I'm writing about the struggle the majority of us have never, thank God, and will never, God willing, encounter. I'm writing about the struggle of dealing with a lifetime illness or condition that seems it can disrupt one's plans for the future. Okay, yes, please, God, no one should ever address it, but if there is someone dealing with it, this is an excellent essay about this struggle in a very personal way. It made me cry, this essay, in many ways. It talks about the mind, mindset, the now, the power of now, how to deal with the heart and the emotional side of it. You can see this essay uh, comes with a lot of work and a lot of aggravation, but uh, a powerful essay that I think anyone dealing with issues like this or has friends or family, worthwhile reading. Yeah, so that is the final essay. Very good contribution to the canon of applying Siddhis to life. With that, we conclude, my friends. My Life Siddhis Applied, episode 287. So everyone should have a Shana Teva, the different expressions. It should be a very blessed year in general, especially one Teira and Primisa Teira, empowering, igniting the passion, the energy, the excitement of the mission which each of us is charged with, the great gift given to us. Then we're, going, of course, going to go next week. We'll be talking about Hanukkah. And uh, it should be a very blessed week and a, a very Yom Tov Dika week. Rosh Hashanah of Everyone be well. Thank you.